Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are headed back to 1 Corinthians today to finish up our Come Follow Me discussion. I think we'll do today and one more as well because we have so many great topics to discuss in 1 Corinthians. So first, we'll do a quick review, and then I'm actually just going to immediately jump right into chapters 8 and 9, maybe 10 today. So go there if you haven't had a chance. But just as a reminder, um, the Corinthians is Paul's letter to those saints that are living in Corinth, which is part of Greece, and it's a very sexy place, um, very trendy, very hip, uh, a lot going on there, very central cosmopolitan to different societies, so there's quite a mix. Now, one of the things that he does that helps me remember is that Paul is going to uh, write this letter in response to some of the problems. So the first thing he's gonna do is define the problem, and then he is going to respond with the gospel, and his responses obviously have the good news about our savior as part of the response. So something that we can always apply to ourselves. So that's kind of what he's doing. Now, here's where this might get strange. Uh, chapters eight, nine, and 10 have to do with sacrificing food to idols, which at first blush, you'd say, Lori, why are you even covering that? That is, we don't, no one even does that anymore. And it's super strange and we just kind of skip ahead. And we might cherry pick a few really cool verses about, but I think um, this is some of the most practical of his advice and it's got great application. So what we talked about last time was hermeneutics that we could liken these scriptures unto ourselves. But first, let's take the context of it and we'll jump in there. So turn now to chapter eight. And what he's gonna do is bring up this new problem, which is eating food, but not, not just what food they liked and what food they didn't like, but remember, these are different saints coming from different backgrounds, some Jews, some Greek, uh, different Gentile backgrounds as well, kind of a hodgepodge of people, and they would have very different beliefs on what this meant. Now, one of the practices that was done in ancient days, as you know, is that at other temples, uh, other religious structures, it was very common for them to sacrifice to their gods. And then even in the buildings, which we still have quite a few of them, there are dining rooms set up in them. So as you would sacrifice your offering to your God, you would um, potentially get the meat back because the God might only want the fat or the scent or whatever uh, part of that religion was. And so then you got the meat back and then you would eat it. So most of the butcher shops of the day were not just sacrificing, uh, just cutting up animals for you to eat like at the grocery store. They are at the temples. And so you bought your meat at the temple. Additionally, the restaurant was there, so you ate there. Well, it's an oversimplification, but you can kind of see the problem. The problem being that if if you were always sacrificing, or you bought your meat, or you ate at these restaurants that were also part of the practice uh, of another religion, 
you might really look down on that. So here's the kicker. Here's, here's what's going on. It isn't sinful for them to eat that meat and it isn't sinful for them to buy it or eat it. However, it might be hard for some of the, what Paul calls weaker of the saints, for those maybe new or how it would be perceived by others. So he's trying to explain that um, it's okay to do it, but there's a higher law. So let's turn there and see if we can see some of it and see if we can't find some applications because this is one that I think there are a lot of applications for and a couple of really great metaphors that uh, are sports metaphors, so we'll love them. So uh, let's flip to chapter eight. So let me just read a little bit of chapter eight for us and see if uh, this doesn't translate a little bit for us in our brains. Okay, chapter eight, first Corinthians. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up and charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known to him. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as as many gods, there is many and lords are many. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom all are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we by him. How be it there is not in every man that know, that knowledge. So he's saying, listen, let's talk about this idle thing. And then he immediately flips to this idea of knowledge. And that was a little bit of a non sequitur. You're like, wait, I thought you were just saying about this meat thing being worshipped. And then he's saying, look, sometimes we get a little bit of knowledge and it makes us puffed up. That is for sure, right? We've all seen it. We've probably all done it. And he's saying, knowledge makes you snooty, sometimes arrogant, and it doesn't have to be. So if you're a little more wise, a little more educated in the gospel, you might know, well, there isn't really, there's anything wrong with doing this, or you have some opinion. And, and so that's what he's saying. Someone has more experience or more knowledge than the others. And then he goes on to say that, okay, let's just play this out. There are no other gods. They, they don't exist. There's only one God. And so, and then in Jesus Christ, right? He explains that. But he's saying that because he's saying, you can eat whatever you want because those gods are just wood, wooden statues, they're just stone. It doesn't matter. Okay. So that's what he's saying. Uh, skip down to verse eight. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So meat doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you eat. Doesn't make you good. Or not eating doesn't make you good. That doesn't make any difference in the person that you are. Got it? But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So he's saying... The problem isn't you eating it. The problem is that someone sees you eat it and it's it's a stumbling block for them. They're like, well, I, didn't, I don't understand what's going on there. I thought that they believed in only one God, but there he is at the temple. So it's not that you're eating it. It's that it might be a stumbling block for another member, right? So it's a, it's a really good, it's a really strong idea. And he's even saying, um, Christ died 
for the weaker brethren, which is all of us, but he's saying Christ died for those that are weaker. And here you are making it harder. So if you're a true Christian, if you're a true follower of Christ, you will look out for your weaker brothers and sisters. Um, what do you think? Powerful, right? So yeah, you can take the food thing and go, well, I okay. But think about something, some practice that it isn't inherently right or wrong. But maybe because you know something more, you have more experience in the gospel or you're older or uh, you, you just, I don't know, uh, grew up differently than somebody else, that you're like, hey, there's nothing wrong with doing this, but they don't know that. And it's harder for them. Or it makes them feel bad. Or they're tempted. It becomes a stumbling block. Can you think of anything? Maybe it's even your own family where they don't, they don't really know uh, that what's right and wrong. And so they watch you do it and they don't get it. Um, I'm not, I couldn't come up with a super good example, but I do have one. So someone's going to email me this one when they're going to say, Lori, ah, cause it's kind of a political example, but here in the United States, an issue that's come up over the last few uh, years. And my point is the political is not the political issue is that there's old statues from the 1800s that celebrate the uh, civil war and they are statues of those confederate leaders and for some those confederate leaders as seen as promoting slavery so if maybe if you were african-american or come from a family that's very sensitive to that you look at those statues and say they are commemorating slavery and others are saying no it's it's just a statue and it's of a veteran and it's of a, a strong heritage i think but if it hurts somebody's feelings and it's that serious to them why are why do we get so excited about that now i realize there are other political issues but i think that christ would say if that hurts someone's feelings that much let it go let it go now i have another example um which is not political at all um but is that if I'm a, I love cycling, and if you've ever seen a big cycle race like the Tour de France, have you ever noticed where it's hundreds of cyclists and they're all clumped together and they ride together? Uh, I think one of the principles of the gospel is that we succeed together, that we need to pull our weaker brothers and sisters along. And aren't we all beggars, to quote King Benjamin? Aren't we all the weaker member in something or sometime? Absolutely. So we might say, yeah, today I'm the strong one, but tomorrow I'm the weak one. And that's similar to the cycling. If you've ever seen them, they ride together. And even the very strongest rider, sometimes they'll try to break away and get out on their own. Um, but that big group, even the weakest riders, if they ride together in that big group, go faster because of how aerodynamics work and, and things. But you can be a very weak rider and you can stay in a group and you will ride faster and then any one person can ride. And I've, I have been that person where I needed someone to, we say, pull us along. They stay in front of you and they block the wind and they do the pull and you stay kind of huddled behind them because they are stronger and a better rider than I am. And then I have had a few times, uh, I'm not a very strong rider, so I'm usually the one taking advantage of the group, but I have um, a few times where I'm very strong going downhill. And so I can, um, bring a group downhill really fast and uh, find a good path and I'm not scared of going really fast. So so I am stronger there and they can follow me and then when we go flat or up a hill they pull me along and that's really what I think Paul is saying is 
Don't become a stumbling block for other weaker saints. But just like Christ died for the weak, pull each other along. And just like that Tour de France, the team that stays together wins. The team that stays together wins. You're only as fast as your slowest rider. And so they stay together. And it's an amazing lesson for us. So um, if you hate my political reference, that's okay. Come up with a different one. Come up with an application because this is where Paul is becoming terribly, terribly practical, which is great. All right, let's do uh, another one in chapter nine. So he basically moves on to chapter nine. Um, but just to finish up, he says, wherein, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I love that. I will be, if, if meat offends some brother of mine, I would become a vegetarian. Now, again, this isn't about vegetarianism or eating meat or any other diet. This is about, he says, if it hurts one of my weaker brethren, I would never do it again. What an amazing example of being a, a strong member of our congregation, whether it's our ward or a branch or a bigger community. If it offends someone, I won't do it anymore. Even if it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Wow. I just love that. I love it. So see what you can do with that. But don't email me about the Confederate thing. Sorry. Too bad. Okay. Uh, chapter 9. He seems like he moves on and he goes on to talk about being an apostle and how maybe he should get some, he has some recompense and you could take your spouse and do some things. And so you're like, I don't know what he's talking about here. And he uses a metaphor um, about muzzling an ox while it's treading the grain. Like you wouldn't... Um, you know, tie one hand behind your back, right? Like we're wrestling, that's kind of his, you wouldn't muzzle an ox while it was trying to work. You would let it eat the fruit of its labors. Um, and he's saying that's the same thing. You would get support. So this feels like he's changing gears and yet he takes it back to the same topic. So jump to chapter nine and let's grab that because I think this is a good add on here. I'm going to jump over to nine verses 20. And this is where he makes his point. He says, And unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. That was a lot of the same words. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might, I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be the partaker thereof with you. Um, did you, it's super weird phrasing, but all he's saying is this, when I went to the Jews, I appealed to what they knew and he's Jewish, remember? So he's not pretending to be somebody he's not, but when he came to someone who was not Jewish, he didn't teach them all the Jewish laws. He taught them what made sense to them in the gospel. And he said, you know, it's important to meet people where they are. It's important to think like they do rather than just hit them over the head with whatever you think is right in the gospel, but meet them where they are. And he says, and that's what I think he's saying. He says, I do this for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you so that I can share, so I can be more like you. I, I think it's one of the brilliant parts of the Lord's program of missionary work that so many of us are called to different parts of the country or different parts of the world that we didn't grow up in. Be, and we all come back and say, oh, I love the people of wherever we served, right? And I think it's because we become like them. And we say, wow, I, I love those people, not because I was better than them. 
and not because I was, you know, bringing them some fantastic, um, I don't know, we bring them the gospel. So that's fantastic. But we're not bringing them some kind of cultural difference. We're bringing them the gospel. But it's because we, we humble ourselves and we become like them. What a great lesson. And I think that's what Paul is saying. And then he goes on with a great quote. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is is temperate, temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we in, oops, uh, an incorruptible. So in Corinth, there were these um, like uh, Olympic games and they were held every two years. So it's a super sporty town. And remember when they won, they would win a, a wreath on your head. Here's a dumb aside. The wreath that you would win in Corinth was a pine branch. And then later it went to celery. So you could have a crown of celery made. You should do this for family home evening because it would be awesome. And then it went back to pine. And you usually think of like a laurel branches and that was in Athens but in Corinth they crowned you with pine or celery I might have to wear a celery hat here soon but he's saying you guys you know that the person that runs um runs all and only one can win the prize but even I love the line and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things temperate meaning you have to train hard and you restrict yourself on diet and sleep and exercise and fun and parties, right? If you're a true athlete, you restrict your life, you're temperate in your lifestyle because you want to win. So for 10 months out of the year, whatever, you're very strict in your lifestyle to be a good runner, right? Same today as it was 2000 years ago. And he's saying, and that guy wins, but he wins a crown that corrupts. How much better is it to be temperate in our lives so that we win a crown that is incorruptible, eternal life. So he says in tw uh, 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. And back to 24, I'm gonna read it again. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. So Paul is saying, we work together, and then he's saying, we change who we are, we change our behavior so that it, we're more temperate and we're more balanced and that we can win a, a crown that is incorruptible. Think about some applications this week. See if you can win the celery crown for yourself and be more temperate in your behaviors, but also some really practical of we only win when our weakest members win. Sometimes that's ourselves and sometimes that it's others. Well, that's it. That is the next part of Corinthians. Next, uh, next time we will jump on to, boy, we just have so much to do. Next time we will jump on to gifts of the spirit. All right. See you next time.